prayer before the meeting started, and they said in their prayer they felt like God was saying, "Don't be too nice to me." So uh, I didn't have anything particularly harsh to say, but I'll try and say as harsh as I can um, what I do have to say. <clears throat> uh, this morning we're carrying on in Ephesians, and our series is God's eternal purposes in everyday life. That's what we're we're saying is the, one of the primary messages of Ephesians. So if you've got your Bible, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I'll be following on from where Andy uh, preached from last week and uh, where Beth read from this morning. So that's verse 7 to verse 16. And uh, we'll be beginning. Uh, normally I start with a little story that sort of sets up the theme of this morning. So you can be turning to your Bible. We've got lots to cover this morning in terms of what's in the passage to teach and what I feel God wants to say to us. So there's no little story for you other than to say, what's wrong with the church? I'm sure if I sort of handed round the mic, there's lots of you that would have opinions on what's wrong with the church. I'm sure we all do. There's lots wrong with this church, I can assure you. I probably know more, as you know, we know more than anyone. But what's wrong with the church? There's lots, isn't there? There's lots of things wrong. But I want to talk to you about a specific thing that's wrong this morning. And just so we know, and I'm all on the same page, I love the church. I think it's amazing. It's not as amazing as it should be. That's my point. Um, that's the little story to get us going, to set us up for where we're going this morning. New Frontiers, which is the sort of broader family of churches that we're a part of, was originally a restoration in the church movement. So the idea being that when you look at the New Testament, the church behaved and experienced things in, in a particular way, and that's not the experience of church, and it's not the way the church seems to be in today's world. And so part of the original mission of New Frontiers was, we want to get back to New Testament church, New Testament Christianity, and we're not there yet. Um, so we're still trying to restore the church whilst being culturally relevant, if you like to say. <clears throat> so this is Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 7, and we're going to verse 16. I'm going to read verse 4 to 6 in advance. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope, to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one, each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. The word for men there means mankind. So if you're a lady, don't feel left out. Um, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But they also have descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith, unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, 
into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your words. I thank you that through your Son you gave gifts to us. You gave gifts to the church. And I thank you for those. And I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning as we sang that song. Word of God, speak to me. I come alive when you speak to me. I pray, Lord, we would come alive to your word this morning. That you would speak to us through it. In Jesus' name. Amen. That one, I? I never do that. Um, apologies. I have the text on my page, but I read it from the Bible, so I like to read from the Bible. And I always forget to move it on. We have, a, we have a set of values as a church, and one of those values is development. That we want to build a culture of development where we will encourage and challenge one another to grow in our faith and our relationship with God. And as a church, we want to provide, we will provide, opportunities to train and improve both abilities and character. I like to, the church is often referred to as a hospital, I like to say it's a teaching hospital. You can see here, they're being taught that this man is sick. Okay, so the church is a teaching hospital, which means it's not just a place where you come and you get fixed up, but actually, sometimes that means when there's a a situation or something's going on, those who are in positions of, of leadership will say to someone else, why don't you come alongside me, watch how I do this, learn how I do this, and then next time you can, I'll watch you have a go at doing it. So leading a small group discussion, okay, well, what? this is how I prepare for that, this is what I do in the situation, why don't you do that next time? We, are te- we want to be a teaching hospital. We want to give people the opportunity to grow in their giftings, develop giftings. And that means, I'm sorry to say for some of you, quality might not always be the highest it can possibly be. Now we're not saying we're going to be deliberately shoddy, because that's not honouring to God. But if it's someone's first time of doing something, they might not be the best at it. If it's someone's 50th time of doing something, they might not be the best at it. So we want to be a teaching hospital church. So be prepared for some blips, but be prepared for some wonderful surprises as well. We need to be mentally prepared for that so we can be patient with one another. So, this morning, we need to ask, what is being taught here? Why is it being taught? So, what is being taught in this passage? Well, God gives gifts to the church, And why are those gifts given? So that the church can grow and function properly. We look at verse 7, it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. It's important to note there's a change in emphasis there, because what's been talked about in verses 4 to 4 and 5 is that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one faith, one, one, we're all one, we're all one, we're one new man, we're, we're all together, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, what that means is, some people's gifts are going to be better than others. 
don't know if you know this, what this is. This is uh, Father Christmas in Narnia, the line of which in the wardrobe, giving a present to Lucy. He gives the children presents. And I can remember watching this as a, a young boy, not this version, um, I'm not that young, um, but the old version where the line was on sort of roller skates and they pushed it around. Um, and I remember thinking, man, it must be rubbish to be Lucy. She gets a little letter opener and some, you know, some cordial. She gets a little, you know, hip flask. I want to be, you know, if you want the sword and the shield that Peter gets, oh, that's cool. That's really, you know, that's exciting. That's fun. Or even, you know, you get a bow and arrow. That's quite good as well, isn't it? But a little letter opener and a bottle of drink. Come on. Not all gifts are the same. And actually, if you know the story, spoilers if you don't, that ends up being the most useful gift of all because it, what's in the liquid that's in it can turn people who have been turned into stone back to life. My point being, not all gifts are the same. And sometimes even if you've got the same gift as someone else, you might have a different measure of the grace of God on you to use that gift. There's one body, one spirit, one Lord, and yet each one of us has been given grace in a slightly different way. Grace more than saves. Paul talks about the grace of God was on him. This grace was given to me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. This grace was given to me. As Andy said, it's an undeserved gift from God. We can sort of be a bit upset by that, can't we? And think, well, hang on. Surely we should all get the same gifts. You know, I've got two brothers who are very similar in age, and they would get the same gifts often at Christmas. They would get, you know, the same tracksuit or the same whatever from uh, family members because they were so close in age, it's fair to do it like that. Surely it's fair to give everyone the same gift. Well, yeah, that can be seen as fair. The reality is, as we've said this morning, as Jimmy said, we're dust, we're not deserving of anything. If you don't deserve anything, it's fair to give you nothing. It would be fair of God to give us nothing. So the fact that he gives some something and some another thing is unfair, but not in the way that we understand it. It's unfair that we get anything at all. Does that make sense? actually, if we look at someone else's gift and we say, oh, I wish I had that gift. wish my gift was that and not administration or whatever it is that administrators do because that's a wonderful gift that I don't really have. Um, I wish my gift was that. Actually, that's hidden pride. That's pride saying, oh, God, you don't know what you're doing. I know which gift I should have got. They're gifts of God. These gifts these particular gifts that are talked about in this passage, they're not just <coughs> gifts like prophecy, they're gifts of people to the church. Not prophecy, but a prophet. They're gifts of God, which means they're not from men. Galatians 1, I'll read it to you. you can turn there if you like. If you're in Ephesians still, it's the book before. Letter before. From 
turn there quicker than I did. This is verse 1, chapter 1 of Galatians. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. He's saying he's an apostle, not from men, not through men, but from God, from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who's made him an apostle. We, that can sit a bit uneasy if you're, um, if you've grown up in a British mentality or in your culture. If you're a bit like, oh, it sounds a bit arrogant, really. I, I, I'm an apostle. I've decided that Jesus has anointed me to be an apostle. That's that's what I've decided, and I'm writing the letter. That's how we could view Paul. Actually, we know since that's not quite the case, and we'll get onto that a bit later. <clears throat> so they're gifts of God. They're not from men. Paul wasn't elected to be an apostle. God anointed him, filled him with the Spirit, said, this is what you're doing. I've put a call on your life. They're gifts of grace. As we said, they're not earned, they're not deserved, which means that people can have the same gift, but (coughs) in a different measure. There's a side point that I want to talk about. We sang a song this morning, had this like descended into darkness he rose in glorious light I think is the, the lyric in this in this section of scripture it's got this point therefore it says verse 8 therefore it says when he ascended on high he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men and women in saying he ascended what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth he who ascended is the one who also He's the one who descended, is also the one who ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. What does this mean? I just want to just touch on this very briefly, I don't want to go into it too much. Lots of people have taken this as their, used it as part of their argument for Jesus going to hell. Um, but that's not what this passage is teaching. So if you want to try and argue that point that Jesus went to hell, you need to go somewhere else because this is not the passage for that. Um, and I wouldn't recommend you do it anyway because it's not really anyway. Um, in my view, it's not correct, and it's pointless to try and argue because it's not clear enough to be uh, correct. What this passage is teaching is about the fact that Jesus came from heaven to earth, and then he went from earth to heaven because that's what happened. John one, the Word became flesh. He was in the he was with God in the beginning. And then he became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. So the word who was with God made his dwelling amongst us, humanity. And then after he had died, resurrected, he ascended. And part of that ascension is that um, in John 7, 39, it talks about, uh, John says, the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Then in the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Hold on a minute. You need to wait. Then in Acts 2, um, after Jesus has ascended, Peter preaches the gospel. And he says that because Jesus has now been exalted to the right hand of God, God has said to him, you can pour out the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is poured out. So prior to Jesus' ascension, the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out in the way that it has been now. Because it says Jesus has not yet been glorified. It was a glory for him to go, and now the Holy Spirit comes upon him. 
as a very potted version of perhaps a quite complex uh, teaching. Now, did Jesus go to hell? If by hell you mean did he experience the anguish and torment and the horror of being separated from the Father, then yes. If you want to go beyond that, we can talk about that at a different time, but I wouldn't teach that the Bible says that. I wouldn't say that the Bible says that. So at best you're in murky waters if you're heading that way. So what did he give? He gave his gifts. What did he give? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Paul moves on from the idea that Christ gave gifts in general to the church to highlighting some particular gifts. But not just the gift, but the office, if I can use that terminology, of the gift. As I said, there's lots of ground to cover here and we're not going to go into as much depth as we could. You know, we could have uh, 45 minutes on each one of those gifts and what it actually means. But I'd recommend some resources to you if you want to investigate this more. There's a, um, a guy called Terry Virgo, whose website is terryvirgo.org. He's the, the founder of New Frontiers. Um, and he has lots of teaching on, he's got excellent teaching on Ephesians, and in particular this, uh, it's, it's part four and five, uh, five and six of his teaching on Ephesians, excellent for this topic. Go away and listen to that, they're about an hour long the sermon, so put it on while you're commuting. And there's a book as well I'd recommend called Fathering Leaders, Motivating Mission by David Devonish, who's another person who would be regarded as an apostle within the New Frontiers. Um, and that's a fantastic book on what is the role and function of an apostle in today's church. So it's Fathering Leaders, Motivating Mission, if you're interested in that. So, these gifts have been given to the church. In the past, these gifts, uh, I suppose, have been referred to at times as the, the four or the five-fold ministry. There's some debate over whether there's four or five gifts listed here, um, which I'll talk about in a second. But I want to talk about the, the idea of a gift versus an office. Now, I don't really know office is a bit of a stuffy word in, in some senses. Um, um, gifting or office. So I recently changed the light fixtures in my kitchen. Okay, I'm not claiming to be a gifted electrician, but I did something that was electrical. Okay, but I wouldn't claim the title of electrician for myself because I did something with electrics. Okay, so you might prophesy on occasion. But you wouldn't necessarily say, oh, I'm, I'm a prophet, that's my, that's my thing. Now, over a period of time, as you grow in a gift, and as you use in a gift, and as it's consistently confirmed, you might have people say to you, you know, I think your, your primary gift in is prophecy. That's, that's, you, you never seem to have a tongue. What, you, know, you, know, you, know, you never seem to see someone healed when you pray for them. But... When you, when you bring a prophecy, it's always spot on. It's always exactly what's needed, or always reveals something exactly. So, you might then, and again, we're, we don't like this sort of language, do we? But, I'm speaking the truth to you in love. You might then go, actually, maybe I'm a prophet. And other people would need to recognise that. You don't just convey that title on yourself, because 
much like an apostle, someone turned up on Sunday morning and said, hi, I'm the apostle to Watford, we'd go, are you? That's news to us. Now, if someone, you know, says, oh, oh, starts a church somewhere, builds that church up, looks after that church, they would be, you know, then they go and do the same thing somewhere else. Then when they come back, and the leaders that they've established in that church would go, ah, oh, this is the guy who started the church. We, we trust him. He, he's the one who laid the foundation of our doctrine. He's the one who taught us all that we know. He showed us how to learn. They would regard, you'd welcome that person in. Now, sometimes those relationships aren't formed exactly like that. But that's the, the biblical model. <clears throat> so you might be very pastoral, you might be very caring to people. That doesn't necessarily mean that you are a pastor. You could be gifted in many things. So do we understand that? You can be, as you grow in a gift, you might move towards that. I am someone, you know, people keep telling me I'm a prophet. Well, all I do is I just tell people what God's told me. Hold it very loosely. So, what are these different gifts? Very quickly, we'll try and define them. As I say, we could spend ages on this. Very quickly, I'll try and define them. Apostles is probably the most controversial one. Um, For a long time, there was a reluctance for anyone to claim this title for themselves. Now you have things like super apostles. Now, I don't know what a super apostle does, but, you know, (coughs) they must leave the other apostles way behind because they're super apostles and they've got, you know, I don't know, some sort of cape that they can turn, change and put on. But people would be very reluctant to claim this title for themselves. And actually that comes from a very good place. Because in the traditional sense of the teaching of the church, the apostles are the disciples. They, they were the disciples and they became the apostles. When Jesus said, go into all the world, they were sent, which the word apostle would kind of mean sent one. They were sent into the world and so they became the apostles. So we go, oh, the apostle Peter, so if you then say, oh, I'm an apostle, or we go, this guy's an apostle, well, hang on, is, is he the same as Peter? Well, Peter wrote some of the Bible and he saw the risen Jesus. Have you seen the risen Jesus? Are you trying to write some more of the Bible? Because that would be wrong. You don't add to this. So there's a, there was a fear over the canon of Scripture being added to, which made people go, well, no, you can't be an apostle because apostles write the Bible. Well, actually, not all of the apostles of the Twelve wrote some of this. They might have been consulted when they were... Did he say blessed are the peacemakers? Did he say blessed are the cheesemakers? You know, that sort of famous thing. No, 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 definitely peacemakers. No, they might have been consulted in that. But then Paul is referred to as an apostle, and I suppose he had a vision of the risen Jesus Christ, but he wasn't one of that original twelve. But he claims the title for himself. I'm an apostle. James is regarded as an apostle. Barnabas is 
set aside at the same time as Paul and sent out as an apostle. In Hebrews chapter 3, Jesus is described as our apostle. Because he was a sent one. He was the sent one. This is a quote from a guy called Leon Morris. Apostle does not solely apply to the twelve. Paul frequently claimed the title for himself, and sometimes in such a way as to show that he saw it as important. But if it is clear that it does not refer solely to the original twelve, it is not clear exactly who could claim the title, nor how apostles were chosen. Barnabas is called an apostle along with Paul in Acts 14, and reasoning from the we of 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, 6 and 7, we should probably include Silvanus and Timothy. There are different people referred to as apostles. Likewise, prophets. In the, even in the Old Testament, there's different types of prophets, isn't there? There's some who have this sort of outlandish, oh my goodness, there's wheels of fire in the sky and they're spinning round and this sounds crazy and it's this huge big picture thing. There's prophets that have this sort of vast, mysterious vision. Then there's the prophets that have very detailed, immediate effect, practical, this is what's going on in that situation. There's prophets who wrote the Bible, broke part of the Bible. There's prophets who didn't write the Bible. There's different people, but they had these this title of prophet. And that's just within the Old Testament. We see in Acts 21, there's a guy named Agabus who is regarded as a prophet. Now, if you go back to Acts 11, I think it is, he, it says Agabus got up and prophesied, then in chapter 21 he's regarded as a prophet. So, whether he was regarded in chapter 11 as a prophet, or not, I don't know, but it says that he prophesied, then he's grown in that gift, and then by chapter 21 he's... Agabus the prophet. Apostle is a sent one. The role of the apostle is to, and this is a very, very potted version of these definitions, the role of the apostle is to establish solid biblical foundations, to catch the local church up into the broader mission of God, and to provide ongoing encouragement, the ongoing encouragement of a father figure to the local church and its leaders. Apostolic input for a church is essential for its health and vitality. It adds a layer of accountability for the elders and safety for the congregation. It prevents theological error from shipwrecking the church and stops navel-gazing from taking place. That's one of the primary roles of apostolic ministry is to go, you're all looking there, let me pull you out and look, look what's going on in the broader world. A prophet is a person with supernatural revelation. In this particular instance, prophets in the New Testament prophets often work very closely with apostles. They've got this supernatural insight into situations which then apostolic teaching can be brought to. Provide, they provide insight for breakthrough. Evangelists, there's not much reference to evangelists in the Bible. There's Philip the evangelist. And then Timothy is told by Paul, do the work of an evangelist. And there's not a great deal else, to be honest. What evidence there is shows someone who sees people getting saved. Philip, the evangelist, in Acts 8, goes to Samaria and loads of people get saved. And then what does Philip do? He goes, 
God's told me to go somewhere else, and he just leaves them. He sends for the apostles first, to be fair. So he preaches the gospel, lots of people get saved, and then he says, right, there's loads of Christians down here. You, you apostles who build churches, you better come and sort these guys out, because I'm on to the next thing. Now, obviously, I'm painting a slightly careless picture of him there, but the point being, he saw lots of people saved, and then he went on. Appointment with the Ethiopian eunuch, guy gets saved. Do you want me to explain what that means? He's looking for an opportunity to share the gospel, and he sees fruit from it. Pastor teacher. Now, this is the one where there's confusion. Is it? Is it one gift? Is it two gifts? Is it pastors and teachers, or is it pastor teacher, shepherd teacher? The word shepherd there could be pastor. Pastor, shepherd, elder, overseer. They all mean, they're all different names for the same thing. Bishop means overseer. That's what that means. So, please, feel free to start calling me Bishop Aaron. Uh, I will, I will not respond. <laughs> I'm not good enough for that. Um, they're interchangeable titles for the same, same role, but is it a package deal? Is a pastor always a teacher? Well, I think, and based on the, the grammar of this, so each gift is, there's uh, apostles and Prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers. Pastor teachers. It's the way that the words are separated, it makes it seem like there's a package deal. Now, <clears throat> practically, I think this actually makes sense to me. I don't think it's a, you know, it's not a deal breaker. But if you teach without caring for people, you're just a lecturer. And probably not a very good lecturer, because good lecturers do care about people. And if you're trying to care for people in a Christian sense, and you're not teaching them anything from the Bible, you're creating a group of people who are dependent on you and not on God. So my argument would be that pastor and teacher are a kind of a package deal. Now, you might be more gifted in a pastoral sense, you're more able to hear difficult things and deal with situations or you've got more time for people or you might be more gifted in the teaching aspect where you're able to unpack things and make them understandable but there's a I think there's a package deal there I'm going to skip some stuff some people would say these gifts are temporary that they were just for while the, the New Testament was being written but if we read on, we see even from this, no, I could argue that case that that's not, that's not true. But even if we read on, we get to verse 13 and it says, until, so he gave these gifts, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. So until... We all attain the unity of the faith, but we haven't even got the first one. You look at the church today, you look at the church this week, the synod that happened, there's not unity of the faith. So, these gifts are until those things happen, and we haven't reached those things. So these gifts persist today. So why did he give these gifts? 
So the church returned from this, you can't really see that very well, it's a baby in a boat, to this, deadliest catch. That baby, you put that baby on some rough seas, it's going overboard. Jimmy said don't be too nice. Um, but you put the deadliest catch crew on the roughest seas, and they're there breaking the ice off the boat, they're chucking big chunks of ice overboard, they're pulling people out of the water, they're not destroyed by the waves. Why do we give these gifts to the church? So the church would be equipped for the work of ministry, built up, attain unity, grow fully mature, able to withstand attack and discern false doctrine, speaking the truth in love. Let me tell you, I'm going to chop some stuff out and try and finish quickly. Let me tell you, oh, I've got ten minutes. Did my... That's fine. I've preached for a long time already. Okay, quiet. <clears throat> Let me tell you this. There are people out there, and I'm, no, I'm not naming names, there are people out there who claim to be followers of Jesus, who've deliberately got themselves into positions where they can teach and have influence over people, and they're teaching things that are wrong and they're doing it knowing and they're either doing it out of spite or for personal gain there may be other reasons but they're the two that either spite as in they've, they're sort of agents to damage the church or they're doing it for personal gain now some people are teaching wrong things because they don't know now that's a different type of fish there's some people I'm telling you this is what this, this passage says <clears throat> By human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. People are teaching the wrong thing, wrong thing, for their personal gain. That's why in 2 Timothy, Paul writes and says there's people who, they've abandoned sound teaching, because their ears are itching and they want to hear, you know, I've got money trouble, I want to hear that if I give a bit extra, all my troubles will be gone. Now, the best kind of lies have a little bit of truth in them. The truth is, if you trust God fully with your finances, he's going to honour you and take care of you. I can testify to that in my own life. But that doesn't mean that if I don't give them, you're under a curse. There's this idea of if you're truly a Christian, you will have perfect health. If you're truly a Christian, if you have just have enough faith, you will have a Mercedes Benz. If you truly have faith, you will never need a filling in your teeth. That's always the question I ask if someone's a bit of a health, wealth and prosperity preacher. Can I see your teeth? How many of those are yours? It's not true. God might choose to bless you with a Mercedes-Benz. He might choose to bless you with a nice house. But they're just extra things. If you want to hear about that, look up John Piper on Prosperity Gospel. It's a three-minute clip. He nails it. Um, anyway, what's your favourite preacher like? Obviously, aside from me, sorry, Andy, what's your favourite preacher like? 
Who, who do you love to listen to? I've got people that I listen to, Matt Chandler, John Piper, Terry Virgo, I listen to these people. Because they've built up credibility in my mind. But what's your favourite preacher like? What is Matt Chandler like? And, you know, he's not going to listen to this, but if you don't know who that is, he leads a very good church in, uh, in Texas. Um, <clears throat> what's he like? Well, to be honest, I don't really know. I know what his teaching is, I've listened to some of that, but I couldn't tell you, you know, what he's like when he's tired and he's, you know, not had his cup of coffee in the morning. What's your favourite preacher like? I'm not sure, but he seems nice in the videos. My point is we need to be discerning on what we're listening to, who we're listening to. It's fascinating to me how many recommendations I get versus how many requests I get for teaching. Now, I, don't, I can't speak for Andy there. People often say this to me, and I love it, so don't feel you have to stop doing this. People say to me, you should read this book. You should listen to this talk. You must go and see this guy. Now, I'm happy to hear that because I think oftentimes God's doing something and I want to be in on that. I don't want to miss out because Oh, don't recommend to me, I'm the pastor, you know, I'm not interested in that. I want to hear those recommendations. But it's fascinating to me how many people say, you should read this, and not, what book should I read? This is my, (coughs) this is me not being nice. My job, which you all pay for, (coughs) is to study the word of God and oversee this church. For whatever reason, I am in full-time employed to do that. Because that's the call of God on my life, and by His grace and mercy, that's what's happened. That's the position I'm in. So my job is to search the Bible and to try and find things to teach you how to live your life effectively for Jesus, to equip you for the work of ministry. That's my full-time job. So please, if you're going through something in your life, come and ask me. Say... I'm struggling in my marriage. Can you recommend a book to me that's biblical, or some teaching to me that's biblical and helpful and practical? I could do it. I'm struggling with this. My finances are in a mess. Well, I can point you to the, you know, the passages of Scripture or the people that can help you or the book that you can look at. Please come and speak to me. It fascinates me the difference between recommendations and requests. Now, as I say, I don't mean that in a harsh way. I'm speaking the truth in love. Please, I'm asking. You're, you're free to ask me for recommendations. Megan wants some of the books out of our house. Let me encourage you to be discerning. Don't just swallow what you're taught. And that includes what I'm teaching now. I've just said that apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, that's all for today. Well, there's lots of churches out there and lots of people who go, no, 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 that's, that's gone. So don't just swallow it because I've said it and I'm standing here. You need to go away, open your Bible, look up some different people. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the, the Office of Evangelist was temporary. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's, he's fantastic, brilliant teaching. But he's wrong on that. So you don't just swallow it because someone's a name. 
We're meant to be a strong body so that when the wind or waves come to knock us off course, we can row through it. And I know that's probably not how you actually row because you break the oars and stuff, but you get the analogy. So what's wrong with the church? What's wrong with the church is... I'm not going to use this unfortunately. The, the only the church isn't as effective as it should be. We're not as strong as we should be. We're not growing up into the maturity that we should. That only happens when everyone is playing their part. There's final few verses for this morning. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which, is, is, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What body part are you, are you working properly? Because the church isn't finished, it's not, we're not settled, but there's this many Christians in the world. I was going to show this graphic that Peter Wiles put up on his Facebook about the growth of... Um, Christianity, and particularly Protestant Christianity, is not quite Catholic over the last 500 years. It's amazing. Be encouraged. The church is not on the down. It might be difficult here, but the reports are that China is 10,000 a day. People turning to Jesus. Now, people might be exaggerating. Oh, and it's only 5,000. 5,000 a day. Watford would be different. I think part of the reason historically the church hasn't functioned that well is because of this. Captain Planet. I don't know if you know this. Captain Planet, there were these five people, they had different gifts, but when they came together, they formed Captain Planet and he solved all of the problems. There's been an overemphasis on the pastor-teacher in the history of the church. Understandably so, which we can't get into. But every church needs a pastor-teacher. Every church needs, we need, we need evangelism. We need people who are gifted evangelistically. We need people who are gifted prophetically. We need apostolic input. That's why being part of New Ground and New Frontiers is so important. Now, maybe, you know, you might not see the, the workings out of that, but there's things like uh, prayer days twice a year, normally a Wednesday and a Thursday. If you want to come to those, you're welcome to come to those. Speak to one of the elders, speak to Lorraine. You can pick up something of, this is, this is what we're actually a part of. It's not just about my little small group, or maybe even Watford, or that's quite big. It's about seeing the world change, seeing Europe changed by the gospel. There's been an overemphasis on one of the gifts, when actually we need all of them to come together and produce not Captain Planet, but produce the church. Fully mature, strong, discerning, speaking the truth in love. The church isn't finished or settled down. So I want to ask you, are you looking to grow in the gifts that Jesus has given you? Are you ready to be part of God's mission?
and who are you listening to? Shockingly, I've preached for 45 minutes and chopped out about a third of my notes, so I apologise for a bad plan on my part. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us as a church. <clears throat> and then we're going to go and have coffee together and talk together and enjoy fellowship together. Father, I thank you for your love for us, your gifts to the church. And I pray, Lord, that we would see amongst us these gifts raised up. Whether we see someone who is eventually recognised as, oh, they're a prophet, or we see, oh, he's an evangelist, or she's an evangelist. Whether we see that or not, Lord, we want to see the gift of evangelism released in this church. We want to see people hearing the gospel and turning to you, hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to see people prophesying with accuracy and supernatural divine insight into situations and into the life of this church works. I pray you would raise up people who are pastorally gifted, who are able not to just sit there and put an arm around someone, but sit there and put an arm around and say, and this is what God says to you in your situation. And that to be life-giving, not guilt-inducing. And I pray that we would continue to grow in our relationships with the apostolic oversight of this church. So I pray that we would see a full complement of gifts in this church. In Jesus' name. Amen.